I invite you to open your Bible today in the pew in front of you to 1 Peter 2. You might want to keep it open, actually, because we're kind of going through the scripture today, and I'm not going to have it up. We'll have it up initially, but as we go through it, you're going to want to look at it. As we continue our course through the letter to the churches in Asia Minor, uh, we're in 1 Peter 2. But I'm not going to read it quite yet. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Danielle. In my family of origin, we have the blessing and the sometimes curse of having two really smart English teachers among us. It's like sometimes they have their own language that none of the rest of us can understand. They can talk about Shakespeare and his work and so many other literary geniuses like they knew them personally. And they will gleefully find flaws in your grammar and correct you. And they know when to use further and farther, a concept that can be elusive to the rest of us. I still don't get it. I've asked them to explain it. Don't come outside and try. Don't do it. It's embarrassing. But anyway, one way that I can keep up with my siblings who are English teachers is I can understand oxymorons. <laughs> I can understand figures of speech which are seemingly contradictory terms that appear side by side. That is something that my brain can grasp. Here are some examples. Ah, I clearly misunderstood. Well, there was a conspicuous absence of evidence. I'm a definite maybe to your party. <laughs> I'm a devout atheist. Can you give me an exact estimate? <laughs> we say that all the time. What's for dinner? Well, jumbo shrimp followed by vegetarian meatballs and maybe some grape nuts. <laughs> now, ironically, the term oxymoron actually is contradictory, making it oxymoronic. Because in its etymology, oxys means sharp and moronos means dull, so it means pointedly foolish. English lesson completed. <clears throat> Now, in the scripture today, Peter uses a phrase which is actually an oxymoron. Jake alluded to it earlier. He says that we are to be living stones. And we might think of that as being the living dead, since stones don't display the characteristics of life, like movement and breath and growth. Last week, Peter talked about what it means to be newborn babes, and today we look to a building metaphor. So now we're in the scripture, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. Come to him, Jesus, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This honor then is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen people 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we look to you for understanding for these ideas from your servant, Peter. Give us grace and truth through your Holy Spirit. Amen. As we study today, we need to keep in mind a little bit of how these words would be heard to the church in Peter's time. One reality that Pastor Helen brings up in our membership class every year is how the early Christians were accused of being atheists by their pagan neighbors. This is because they no longer practiced their faith in a temple with sacrifices and a priest. They didn't have altars or images. They didn't participate in worshiping the Greek or the Roman gods like their neighbors, nor did they take place in deifying the emperor. Add to this that people believed that they were eating the body and drinking the blood of the man they followed, and they were seen as subversive to the social and religious and political structures of the day, because worshiping multiple gods being polytheistic was a fundamental building block of Roman society, and Christians were seen as disrupting that order. And although many saw them as a Judaic sect, they were seen as blasphemous, of course, by their Jewish neighbors who believed that they were traitors and pagans. So with some of this in mind, these words from Peter would be such an encouragement to the church. As I read this passage this week, it occurred to me how important it is to consistently remember what the church is and what it is not. The church is defined by the Lord through scripture, through his revelation, not defined by outsiders or even by insiders. That task belongs to the Lord who has created the ecclesia. So here's my personal rendition of what the church is not, followed by what the church is based on scripture and my experience. What the church is not. The church is not an institution emptied of people. It is not dead, irrelevant, or past its prime. It is not a hierarchy. The church is not engineered by human ideals. The church is not a puppet or an extension of any nation, cultural, government authority, or political party. The church is not a building. The church is not something Christians can criticize as if we are not part of it. Now, remember, I'm not saying you can't criticize it or speak prophetic truth over it. I'm saying we can't criticize it as if those people, nope. Us people, remember when you talk about the church that way. The church is not a denomination. It is not a tradition or a nonprofit organization put on earth to do good. Here's what the church is. The church is alive by the reality of the resurrected Lord whom we worship. The the church is made up of sinners who have been forgiven by Jesus the Messiah and who found salvation through grace and faith in him. The church is both human and divine. The church is God's chosen vehicle for bringing redemption and hope into the world. The church is made up of saints, both in heaven and on earth. The church is a united body with Jesus as its head. 
The church is God's people commanded to love him and love others as our greatest ideal and most important action that we do. The church is those who follow Jesus and live in obedience to him. The church is part of a kingdom with a unique and enduring privilege of belonging to a sovereign and holy God that the gates of hell will never prevail against. The church is a just redeeming community called out of the world to go back into the world and serve. The church is a growing organism meant to build one another up and encourage one another in the faith. Now I say all these things knowing that you and the Bible and God might have more to say about the descriptions and that's great. The point of me talking about this is to spur our thinking about our understanding about the church and our place in it today as we seek what the Spirit would say to us through this passage. Because Peter is giving us a strong metaphor here of the church as a building. But unlike any edifice we have seen, this one is made up of living stones. And we want to explore that oxymoron how it would instruct us and in what we know and what we need to be challenged in today. So there are eight principles about the church that I see here. Strap on. It's not going to be that long. It's going to be fine. <laughs> These are all in the scripture. So that's why I said you might want to keep it open in front of you like I am up here just to kind of keep it open. First, Peter says, come to Jesus. The church is to come before the Lord that's our first thing that we do in humility and hope. Peter exhorts us to come to the Savior whom he calls the living stone in verse 4. Be connected, he says, to the living stone. And thinking about the verses from last week, Peter says, If you have tasted that the Lord indeed is good, come to him and live. This is an invitation that Jesus offers to all of us. Before we know him, Jesus says, come. When we decide to follow him, he says, come. When we grow as disciples in our everyday lives, come to Jesus is the invitation of the sacrament of communion. Come to Jesus, all who need to confess, all who are weary, all who are burdened down with the pain of life, all who are seeking to serve the Lord. All who have joy because they found freedom and healing and forgiveness. Come to Jesus with everything that you're worried about. Everything that you're anxious about. Bring your pride and your gifts and your shame and your confusion and lay them at the feet of Jesus and come. Just be in his presence. Come to Jesus who asks that you always follow him. I love these words of Peter because it's an open offer all the time. Will you come to Jesus with all that you are, all that is in your heart and your life, with everything that you see happening around you so that you can know more of him? Two, verse four. Like Jesus who was chosen and precious in God's sight, and then rejected, the church faces rejection for being connected to him. There's something in these words that tugs on us emotionally if we stop to think about it. How Jesus is precious to the Father. Precious, but rejected. Rejected by mortals. And we think about the baptism and God saying, This is my son, whom I am well pleased 
And then we think about the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. And then on the thief, the cross says, the, the thief says on the cross to the other one, don't you even fear God. And then God again at the baptism says, this is my son, listen to him. So the Christian faith is all about what we do with Jesus. What we're meant to do is give him honor and praise. People reject the Savior, but God chose Jesus. You should count how many times the scripture says Jesus is precious, precious and chosen by God. This is a narrative that the church needs to hold on to and never let go of. Jesus is chosen and precious, and so are we. But sometimes we don't see ourselves that way. How much do we base our worth on what other people think about us or what we think about what other people think about us? Why? It's so confusing. How much do we find ourselves defensive and deflated when we read about what people say about the church or what they say at the dinner table about the church? How much do we put stock in the attacks on the body of Christ and we align ourselves sometimes with them? Those who are angry and hurt, no matter the reason, justified or not. But the goal of the church as a collective whole is that we would cling to Jesus and not be swayed by those attacks. Seriously, I don't know why I wrote this down. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I have a friend on social media who cut off our friendship years ago when I was young and so much more immature than I am today. <laughs> right? Yeah. It wasn't a full rupture. It wasn't for any reason that was articulated, but I found myself being irritated with them in their posts. Oh, yeah, 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 we get it with the dog. Yeah, 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 you like to travel. You're really smart. You're doing great things. Enough. I mean, how many posts does one person need to do every day? And then I was thinking this week, maybe I need to unfriend them or at least hide their posts from my site. Mark's like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. And then after reading this scripture, the spirit said, you're only bothered because they rejected you. And then I thought, duh. And then I thought, as I was telling you this, it probably you already knew this, but you know how we have to think through these things and experience them for ourselves? You see, no one likes being rejected. It hurts. It stings for a long time. No one likes being part of a group that's targeted as being anti-intellectual or the cause of all the problems of all the earth for all times. But knowing that we have a savior who gets it helps us. Trusting a Messiah who is still able to love while being actively rejected is something for us to keep asking him to help us with in this life. Three, being connected to the living stone means that we are also living stones because we are made in God's image. This is verse five. We have been made alive in Christ. We were dead in our sins, and we've been made new by the blood of Jesus. And Peter says, allow yourselves to be built into one whole. We resonate with being the body of Christ, but this is a very strong metaphor also of what it means to be the church, that we are to be a spiritual house, stones to make an edifice in the world, meant to bring God's presence to those around us. God who indwells our gatherings intends that we go out and minister in his name to make disciples and um, to baptize and to feed and to help and to heal. And the church is meant to bring people to the feet of Jesus. 
It's one of the things that we've been seeing when we've been watching The Chosen in our small group. I don't know if you've been watching it. I would encourage you to watch it. It's free. They decided to not stream it on purpose. But there's something so compelling about watching this Jesus interact with all of these people who become this kind of ragtag living stones all together, bringing hope and healing in God's name. Notice that Peter, whom Jesus calls the rock, now calls Jesus a stone, a living stone. Believers become one in Christ in the construction of God's presence on earth. Four, the church is a holy priesthood. This is verse five again, offering spiritual sacrifices. Now, it's not clear what Peter means here. I don't know what you think about when you think about spiritual sacrifices, and that's something that you are meant to do as you follow Jesus. What he does say here is that these sacrifices are acceptable to God. And that reminds us of Paul in Romans 12, who told us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that this is part of our worship This means that we are to live with integrity with the word and with God and how we take care of ourselves and what we eat and drink in our sexual lives. We are made to worship the Lord with our created bodies. And the invitation of Jesus is to sacrifice what we want and exchange it for what God wants from us. To love the Lord more than anything else that our bodies might crave or want here. That is our act of worship. And the effect of believers doing that together and in concert with Christ will impact the world, which is what we've seen throughout generations. So what are you specifically offering to the Lord in this season of your life? One clue might be that it's a struggle. One clue might be that you don't necessarily want to do it. You don't necessarily know how you're going to do it. Mine is time. Often it's time. What is your spiritual sacrifice of worship? Five, there's no shame who believe in God's chosen. Jesus is God's main building block for the kingdom, and Jesus is at the center, and everything else is put in relationship to him. And no matter what persecution or suffering because of the faith that people have, God wants the truth, God wants the church to know that there is honor, that God honors people who believe in Christ for believing in the Son. And this is part of what we all have to decide. Verse 7 has a quote from Psalm 118, which Jesus says after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he's teaching the people, and there's so many people all around. And he says this, The stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. And in the Psalms, The scripture is saying how Israel is the main building block of God's work in the world. Although many people around Israel were like, no, that cannot be true. They saw Israel as worthless. If you go to a quarry and you want to pick a stone to start building a house, people were like, yep, nope, not that one, not Israel. We reject that. But Israel knew that they were God's chosen But when Jesus quotes it after his entry, he applies these words to himself. He's saying, I am the cornerstone, that I'm going to be rejected by many, but I am what God's kingdom is built upon. And this angers many, many religious leaders and helps seal his fate. And one commentator said this, The tragedy is that those who thought Jesus was nothing more than a cause of ridicule, 
will discover that though they rejected him, he has become the pinnacle of God's house. Those who accept Jesus as the center of God's activity will be honored. Six, the very rock that forms the church and welcomes people to be connected is the same rock that people will stumble over. This is verse 8. Peter says it is in disobeying the word that causes people to stumble. This idea is also found in Isaiah and other places where God says, you can choose to trust me or you can choose to not trust me. If you choose to not trust me, you are going to stumble over me as you disobey But one thing we need to think about from Peter's words here is how it says these people were destined to stumble and disobey. One interpretation is that God chooses who will believe and who will not. Yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes, yes. Another interpretation, a Wesleyan interpretation, would be that none of the rejection surprises God. That Jesus' appointment as Messiah and now King is something that all of us have to decide if we're going to accept or reject. And God means for this decision to be the the most important of our lives. Yes or no. And while God does not decide who believes and who doesn't, the very nature of the design means that some are not going to believe. Some are going to stumble and disobey. And God knows this. Our prayer always is in that stumbling that they will reach out, reach out to Christ for help. Seven. Verse nine says that the church is a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Like with Israel, the church is meant to be a reflection of God's own presence, chosen and precious. Jesus is our high priest, and those in whom he indwells have equal access to God and equal access to serve. That's what the priesthood of believers means in Ephesians 4. There is no hierarchy of anyone being more important than the others. Professional clergy are not the only ministers. Say that again with me. Professional clergy are not the only ministers. We all are which is why we have a value of equal clergy, equal lay around here. Doing the work of God in our communities and and world is something all of us do. They're key markers of what it means to be like Christ. And we should say, do we see ourselves? Stop and really think, do you see yourself as a chosen people? Gather together a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Lastly, why is the church given these titles according to Peter? Because in verse 9 it says this, in order that we will proclaim the excellence of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is to worship Christ in a gathering together like we are doing when we set aside time to come together and sing hymns and spiritual songs and prayers and the reading of God's word, we honor God with our hearts and our lives and our time. Jesus is worthy of all that we are and the one who meets us powerfully when we gather. And Peter is also saying that we are to go and proclaim, proclaim God's light. Who are you proclaiming God's light to right now? So I want to close with just this thought. You see me up here today as a pastor 
who's been given a role by God. And whatever gifts you see that I have is from the Lord and whatever failings are my own. But I'm not just an individual who lives out a call by myself. I am part of a whole. I am part of a living stone. Other living stones who have received this incredible grace-filled gift of salvation. When I decided at the urging of the Holy Spirit and a resolute 13-year-old mind to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. Now, many of you see me here as a person in ministry for a long time, and that is true. But some of you see me as a young person that you helped raise, and that is also true. I'm a product of all of the streams and all the building blocks that came before and that are also part of the church, Catholic and evangelical and charismatic and Wesleyan that has been poured into me my whole life. And I'm very much a person who has been formed by the teaching and preaching and fellowship in small groups of this local congregation. By some of you who came to me and said, what are you doing? I remember those things. Why are you doing it that way? Have you thought of this? I'm a better follower of Jesus because of the emphasis on coming alongside those who are poor and poor in spirit, of trying to live with good, sound mental health, of loving our neighbors as ourselves, no matter who they are or what they've done, of humbly coming before the Lord together in honest confession that we are sinners. I'm a better leader because of what was modeled for me in terms of accountability and patience and wisdom and mentoring, and I directly receive those things in my successes and my failures. You see, the church is an imperfect building, spiritual building of imperfect relationships, a community of relationships meant to bring people to Christ and to help them to know him more. We're not individuals that just come together on a Sunday morning like, hey, how are you? We are meant to be learning and growing and struggling and teaching and praying and serving and weeping and figuring out life together, using our gifts and working out our salvation together as a cohesive whole. We are living stones put in place by a master builder, part of a huge, beautiful, scarred, stained, and enduring cathedral. And I'm grateful, not just for those people who helped raise me who are in this room today, but also for those people in here who are younger than me, who are helping to raise all of us up for the wisdom and the seeking that they're doing to make Jesus part of their transformative life. I'm inspired and grateful for the generations after me who are faithfully allowing Jesus to mold them, who are speaking truth, as all of us are being built up into a spiritual house of God. So what is God saying to you today through this message in 1 Peter? What is it? The altar is open for prayer. Come and confess. Bring your burdens. Talk to the Lord. Talk to one another. The people of God are here to support you and come alongside you as we all grow in faith in him. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.